Welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal of this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And to bring some awareness to the profession this month, I have as my guest, Mike Royal. Mike is the former director of IT audit at Anadarko Corporation and is currently based in Houston, Texas. Welcome, Mike, to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, John. Absolutely. So you were featured earlier this year in a IIA article, which is how I found out about you. And I thought your your story was very interesting. So you can, can you kind of walk us through the initial journey in your professional career? Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, I'm going to start by asking a question that I get quite often, and that is, Mike, have you always been blind? And uh, like any audit answer, it's complicated, right? So I was born with an eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa. I've been night blind my whole life. At age 18, I was considered legally blind. Uh, This meant my peripheral vision had uh, worsened to a point that I could only see down in a little tunnel. Uh, That tunnel was less than 20 degrees in diameter. And that is, uh, from a visual field standpoint, that is considered legal blindness. This occurred right after I graduated from high school and I decided I was going to go on and continue as a plan and study accounting. I didn't know what fast the remaining vision would worsen, but I went to university in Nebraska and Omaha, studied accounting, uh, and, uh, started out in that field. And then in my sophomore year, uh, saw on a bulletin board, they were adding a new major management information systems. So I ended up double majoring in accounting and MIS. I also started in my sophomore year working about 35 hours a week for a farm management company called Farmers National there in Omaha. I started out that summer as a temporary worker just to get some crop health type stuff work done and ultimately ended up as a senior programmer analyst when I finished up my degrees in my undergrad. At the end of my undergrad, really all that I did is switch from being a full-time student and virtually full-time worker to, to a full-time, went full-time with the Farmers National and then started attending the MBA courses at night, again, at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. At the same time, uh, I could still see within that little field I talked about in that tunnel, I had 20, 20, well, by 2030, 2040 vision. And I don't know if many of my professors even knew I had a vision problem. They might think a little awkward if I bumped into something I didn't see, uh, or something like that. But, you know, I never went to them and asked for any accommodation. I really didn't need it. I could still see what was on the computer screen. I could still see, uh, read the books. And, and so while I was legally blind, I was faking it and and by faking it, I'd walk around and I'd have a collapsible cane in my backpack and I'd bump into things. I'd be rushing home from work when it's getting late at night and bump into things. I look back and I, how stupid that was. But at the time that's, that, you know, that's where I was in my blindness journey, if you will. So fast forward to May of 1993, and that's where I got my first dog, uh, my first guy dog. And that was, uh, very much, uh, a game changer for me. I didn't necessarily realize it at the time, but looking back, I, I, that, uh, dog is what helped me. And I guess today's, uh, 
terminology, uh, self-identify as a blind person. No longer could I uh, put a classical cane or a 65-pound back black lab would not fit in my backpack. So from this point forward, I was, uh, I joked that I went from a sighted person that didn't see so well to a, a blind person that saw a lot. Uh, let me explain. So, you know, a lot of people before would just think maybe I was a little clumsy, maybe he wasn't paying attention uh, because, you know, I wasn't, didn't have a cane, didn't have a dog. They, and so why is this sighted person do, you know, acting like he is? Now, when they sell the dog, I think most people instantly think total blindness or black. Uh, and for me, that wasn't the case. And people would say, how's the dog know when to cross the street? And I would say, well, when I tell it to cross the street, and I know by reading the sign, because at the time I could, by staring at the walk, don't walk, I could tell you when it changed to walk. But I wouldn't see the curb down. I wouldn't see the cards on either side of the, of the, uh, you know, the crosswalk or anything like that. So it was, uh, you know, that's how the mobility really helped me out. So uh, that was in May of 93. That was a big game changer getting the dog. And I decided I would finish up my MBA full time. I'd saved up enough money. I could do that and it targeted and, and did eventually graduate at uh, December of 1993 with my MBA. Through that time, I uh, would like to share a couple of interview processes I went through. And first one was with a bank there in Omaha. And I remember spending about 80% of the time uh, during the phone interview circling back to, I don't know how a blind person could do this job. And I'd have to explain, I was on target to graduate with honors from the MBA. I had my undergrad with honors. I've been working essentially full-time since my sophomore year. Uh, the only accommodation I would need is I'd use my dog for mobility. I could still see the screen. I could still read the books. I could still see your printouts. And we'd go on to some other questions and then we'd circle right back to, I don't know how a blind person could do this job. Well, I guess I made it past that because I got to the full day interviews, you know, about the third one in, you know, you go, uh, the gentleman's, and I forget the relationship, but it was either his brother or cousin or son, daughter. I don't know. He's like, they're blind. And I thought, oh my word, we didn't really just go there, did we? But sure enough, we had, and, and I rolled with it and made it around through those interviews. And then ultimately I uh, got invited back to interview with a panel of, on the board. And, uh, I was told there had two positions available and there'd be three of us interviewing for it. And I guess at the end of the day, the other two, uh, candidates were the most qualified because I never got an offer from that bank. And in contrast, uh, when I interviewed with the Union Pacific corporate audit staff, which headquartered in, in Omaha. I did the on-campus interview with the director of IT audit. He was there and he was explaining to me how they were going to start this IT audit group. Uh, and actually he just got named as IT audit director and they were looking to bring on, you know, two, three, four people, maybe, uh, to start uh, the IT audit function at Union Pacific. I was invited in for the full day's interviews. I remember leaving that thinking, I think everything went really well. I'm not sure if I was interviewing for the financial and operational audit or the IT audit position. And ultimately when it came to it, I got offered both. Uh, ironically, I took the financial operational one for the first year I had, uh, I did the computer stuff at that farm management company. I thought, let me give them a financial side of a try. At the end of my first year, they asked me, they say, hey, this, these guys we hired are 
We're doing some real good hacking stuff, but we could use some structure on that side of the, of the audit group. And could you lead an IT audit? Uh, I, I led my first IT audit, uh, fell in love with it. And that's then what I continue to pursue for the next 25 plus years. So I think that gives you an idea of how I got into the profession. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So started your career at Union Pacific in Omaha, spent a few years there, and then you progressed through your career and ultimately became a director of IT audit at Anadarko Corporation. So thinking about your journey in internal audit, you know, your 20 plus years that you dedicated to the profession, can you think about, you know, what were the biggest challenges that you had and how did you overcome them? Yeah, the... You know, I think the challenge is primarily centered around not, um, living down to people's low expectations. Uh, I always set high expectations for myself and I think well higher than by what people thought were achievable. And, and what they, if I talking to a group of, uh, high schoolers or younger professionals and, you know, I'll tell them one thing, or the only person that can sell them you short is yourself. So don't do it. And that was kind of something I just tried to live by and make sure I always delivered a very good product at the end of the audit assignments and, uh, you know, did the best I could and every, everything I pursued. Another area of a challenge, if you will, is determining when to self advocate and when just to let something roll. <laughs> uh, you know, if I wanted to, I could probably get really upset about something virtually every day. Uh, I just, uh, tend to, uh, figure it's not worth it and I'll pick my battles. Uh, let me tell you a story about taking the certified internal auditor exam. So this was in, uh, the early two thousands. Um, my wife was incidentally pregnant with my, my first child. So of course I'm starting to get a little nervous as a soon to be new dad. Uh, at this point, back to my complicated vision story, uh, I. I couldn't see the screen anymore. I couldn't even read anything on paper. I, you know, I couldn't magnify it enough. Or I couldn't use a big fat enough pen and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, and I've got this child coming up that I'm going to be needing to support as well. Uh, I thought maybe taking a CIA exam would help give me some confidence. So I contacted the headquarters because at the time, uh, they took the exam was like twice a year in some testing centers. And I, you know, called and said, Hey, I'm blind. I use uh, this job access with speech jaws, voice synthesizer. Uh, how could I take the exam? And, you know, what is, uh, what are these testing centers like? Well, initial thought was, I don't have any idea how you could do it. <laughs> and we went, uh, back and forth a couple of times. Uh, uh, this was. Uh, about 10 years after the ADA had been passed, I made sure and throw out some, I bet we could come up with a reasonable accommodation that wouldn't cause an undue hardship. And ultimately what we did is they had me send a demo version of the software to headquarters and they loaded it on a test machine and figured out, Hey, yeah, if I could get down there, I could take the test off cycle at the headquarters. So that's what we did. Uh, and so I started studying and going through coursework and practice tests. And I kept coming across a lot of questions like the K should report to the audit committee or the K should, you know, 
interact with management. I forget the exact question, but they're always were case. And, and actually in getting ready for today, I, I saw there's a K bulletin yet out there on the, uh, the IA's website. Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, <laughs> screen synthesizer pronounces C-A-E as K. <laughs> and so I, you know, I knew what, you know, what the test would, would, you know, what I heard K, that's what I was, you know, expecting. Well, I took the exam and never once did I hear K. There was plenty of chief audit executive type questions, but every time it spoke it out because the person who had loaded the demo software figured that could be confusing and went and did a fine and replace to make it easier for me. <laughs> and they also went so far as to, you know, there were a couple of questions that were quite graphically intensive and we would substitute those with a similar question, testing the same concept. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it was a win-win, I think for both the IA and for me. And about six months to a year, uh, after I passed that, I saw that, uh, they started allowing the case, uh, so the chief audit executives, if you will, to come take the test similar to me. Well, I don't think they made them more blindfolds and use screen reader, but they could come take the test off cycle at the headquarters. So it, it kind of ended up being a, a good win-win type story, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And what you said at the beginning, not living down to people's low expectations. That's, that's very powerful. So, uh, one thing that we did talk, we had a, a pre-interview before we did, uh, uh, we're recording here. So, and you mentioned that you're really passionate about mentoring and, uh, you know, obviously you, you rose through the ranks, you know, manager, director. So can you kind of explain to the audience, maybe what was different about your mentoring style and maybe even likely better, uh, during your career? Okay. Uh, yeah, my mentoring style, I mean, was pretty simple. I never would ask anybody to do something I want to do myself. And uh, kind of live by the, uh, we're going to work hard, play hard, and come up with creative solutions to any challenges we may come across. The, you know, as far as uniqueness to me, I think if I come into play, uh, when I went on audits in Guatemala City uh, and Doha, Qatar, and, uh, in London at the time, London had quarantines. I couldn't bring a dog. And so none of those locations did I take my dog with me. And so I ended up going sighted guide most of the time. And that meant I would have my, uh, even my right hand on, uh, you know, a colleague's left elbow and they would, you know, guide, I'd follow them about a half step behind it, you know, pretty efficient way to travel. Uh, you know, but. You know, for them, it was always kind of put them in a, you don't want to run your boss into something that's not a good career move type of situation. And, and other times, you know, I'd be reviewing materials or get some, uh, you know, graphic, uh, full charts or, you know, visually intensive information. And I'd ask one of my, uh, team members to come help me, you know, let's, let's go through this, explain it. Let's get it to a point that I can understand it, uh, you know, without, you know, looking at all the, all the visuals, I, I'm not sure the word here. I mean, I think that made me a little more vulnerable or a little more, some intimacy between me and my team members. Uh, again, I'm not sure that's the right word, but whatever it did, it just, uh, kind of, uh, made me, I think very approachable. Uh, I don't think it ever saw me as, oh, or Mike or, or pitied me for these things. It's just, Hey, this is something we needed to do. And we, we got it done. Uh, and to make sure they 
did look at me in a pitiful type of way. I'd, I'd always, uh, for the last 12 years, at least of my career, uh, I'd bring them out to what I would call a Mike Shropes course. And so I, I lived on a small ski lake and I'd go out and show them my latest tricks or my latest, uh, what I was doing. And then, then throw them the ski rope and, and say, let's see what you got. And, uh, if I couldn't be the best in the boat amongst 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 a bunch of auditors, I, I didn't deserve to, to <laughs> be living on my lake. So, uh, you know, that was always, you know, try to, again, work hard, play hard and, you know, not over dwell on any given thing, but, you know, do what we had to do to get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. Work hard, play hard. And definitely you, you play hard because you are, you're also, uh, you competed at a high level in, uh, some, uh, professional competitions. Uh, you participated in, uh, uh, water ski competitions and marathons and the Boston marathon, which is not an easy one to even qualify for. So can you just tell us a little bit about your experiences in those, uh, competitive, uh, competitions? Uh, yeah, thanks John for that, uh, for the opportunity. Um, I guess I neglected to say, uh, from my sophomore year to, uh, May of 93, actually it was April of 93 when I ran my first Boston marathon. Uh, so in addition to going to school and working virtually full-time, I was running about 80 hours a week. I ran my first marathon in 1988 and, and got hooked. I, I decided if I'm going to do, uh, I actually just kind of started running at 88. So my mentality a little bit is start running, doing a few short distances. Well, now you're going to do the marathon. You're going to do the marathon. You're going to qualify for Boston. So I had to get an age group, uh, qualifying time. It took me uh, from 88 till the fall of 92 when I finally made that cut in, in a marathon in the fall of 92. Uh, signed up, uh, you know, for the, for the, well, in the process of signing up, I got the uh, entry form from the Boston Athletic Association. And looking it over, again, at this point, I still had that tunnel vision that I could read the uh, print myself. There was a visually impaired box. I thought, what the heck is that? So I called the BAA and they said, well, you need to be legally blind. And you don't remember, I was met that qualification back in, uh, when I was 18 years old and finally made the, uh, age cut time and qualified when I was 25 years old to, to do my first Boston. Uh, I actually, they then line you up at the starting line based on your time. And I've been training with my stepdad up to this point, his, his qualifying time older, was a little slower and he was a, a, a couple of shoots behind me. The gun went off and I couldn't even move. It was so crowded. And I'm fortunately a few minutes, maybe five, 10 minutes into the race. He, you know, just massive humanity cop as it slowly went by me and I was going real slow. He, he found me and I ended up running most of that Boston was my right hand on, uh, on his left shoulder, which is not the most efficient way to run, uh, post that race, I learned you can use an 18 inch tether and I, that's how I continue to run post then sometimes simple solutions to what seems to be hard problems. Again, uh, ultimately, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I, I ran a pretty solid time. It was a very hot day and I got home in a month after the, um, the event. I get this water for crystal plate in the mail and it said third, 
third place visually impaired division. I guess I shouldn't have known if I checked the boxes actually competing to get some other visually <laughs> impaired people. And so I missed the opportunity to stand up there with uh, some of the great runners of the time and be recognized at the award ceremony, but that, that's, uh, you know, post that, then I, I kept trying for about the next seven years to make a time, cut time that would get me to the Paralympics. And, uh, my, I never could make it, uh, at the at running to that level. Uh, but then early <clears throat> in, uh, the two thousands, uh, my dad, uh, lost his three year battle with cancer and my sister decided I should bring dad's boat to, to Houston with me. And so, uh, at the, I, we did that. I, my wife learned to drive a boat, <laughs> uh, and we started skiing a little bit. And then I, soon thereafter, I, I learned of competitive water skiing and for the last, uh, you know, since early 2000, that's what I've been doing. Uh, I made my first, uh, world championship team in 2009, uh, cause water skiing is not an Olympic sport. So it's, uh, it's also not a Paralympic sport. So the world championships, the, the highest level of competition you can get to, and it typically takes place every two years in the odd years. So I've been on the team, uh, I missed the 13, but I've been on the team every odd year since 2009. And then we didn't have it in 2021 because of the pandemic. Uh, but ultimately, so the last time we had world championships was in July of, uh, 2019 in Skarnes, Norway, which is just outside of Oslo. Uh, it was, you know, I've been 20 years about at this, uh, pursuit of the uh, trying to, or trying to win a world championships. And it was pretty cool. Cause in the finals, I was, had the worst qualifying score for the finals. So it was up to me to go put up a score that the others would have to chase. I managed to go off the dock and, and run a world record, uh, actually tied the world record, which is always something cool to do, but to do it in the finals at the world championships for your first gold medal, uh, while your old family. Uh, was on the dock, uh, you know, that's probably, we'll see if I can repeat it, that experience here next year in September, when I go back for another shot at the world championships, but, you know, uh, you know, again, back to, well, if we're going to play hard with me, <laughs> we're going to play hard. Yeah. 2023 Mike Royal, here we come. So, uh, you, you know, you obviously are also stay active in your advocacy efforts and, uh, you mentioned at the beginning, uh, uh, blind canine sports. So, uh, can you kind of just tell us about some of the projects that you're currently working on and, uh, some of the projects that, uh, you and your family are, uh, active on. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that article and that was, um, that kind of came up, uh, grew out of me contacting the IA and, uh, late. 2021, but I needed an ethics CPA to keep my certification current. Uh, I'm still staying current in a retired state and I needed to get the coursework in a more accessible format. Uh, and in process of doing that, they asked me, Hey, you should, you should write a blog article. So, so I did, <laughs> and we got that published. Uh, I have since then continued to work with them on their learning platform. Uh, so, uh, 
they, they kind of now that the next course I took, I, you know, when I went to sign up, it was already where I could go click and get the accessible format and without having to contact them, which is a great step in the right direction. I have another article in, uh, I, I don't follow directions, maybe the best, maybe too long for a blog and not long enough for a magazine. And so we're still in the editing stages of it, but, um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, my wife, Wendy, uh, she raises puppies for guide dog schools and she's on her working with her sixth one and uh, looking to start a group through the high school here near our house. Hopefully in the next, uh, next year, we hope to have puppies up with, at the high school. They're doing the information, getting all that groundwork set. The principals of, uh, here in Magnolia high school has said it'd be okay and, and go in that direction. Uh, yeah, he mentioned, uh, so I think at the end, I asked me to contact me, but I'm going to put a plug in for my website right now. So if you go to MikeRoyal.com, um, uh, you'll see how it's sub, uh, kind of branded it, if you will, to say, uh, raising awareness and funds for blind canine sports. And if you haven't figured out now, I mean, I'm blind. I, I tell you, that's part of who I am, not all of who I am. Uh, you know, the dogs have made a huge uh, impact in my life. The ones I've used for my guides and now the puppies that uh, my wife's raising in athletics or sports is always, you know, something I've, I've pursued at, uh, well, I guess at the highest levels possible. And um, so, you know, on the site, there's a contact information link. If you go there, it'll show the schools that I'm, uh, three dog schools I've been associated with or my family has and a couple of sporting organizations. Uh, you could also go see the 2023 team and it'll announce everybody. Uh, you know, there's a place to, as far as raising funds, that's where you can go, uh, hit the button and donate, uh, make sure you put in there some like go Mike, and then I'll be able to keep you track of, of who's, uh, who's, who's supporting me or the team in my name. And, uh, but maybe more importantly is the awareness piece and what I've found uh, you know, quite awareness with informed and through the years, if, well, I'm gonna say 95 plus, I mean, I, most of my encounters, I, you know, when I was eyeing into blindness back before I got my first dog, I thought, man, I'm going to hear blind jokes. People are going to make fun of me. I, I just, you know, all the negative stereotypes, I was, that's why I was hiding my blindness. And, you know, since then, you know, it's open more doors than it's closed. Uh, again, part of who I am, not all of who I am. It, but where I found is if, uh, I ran into situations where someone not aware of guide dogs law or, you know, how a blind person could run a marathon or, you know, whatever it might be is more of a, they're uninformed. And typically if you spend the time, like I did with the IA and we put our heads together, we can come up with a creative solution. And most of the time it's not even that complicated and might even help others. So I like to, you know, on that awareness piece, uh, be as informative and, and do these type of activities as much as I can. Uh, if it helps paves the way for someone coming after me, I mean, that'd be, that'd be great. So thank you for, you know, having me. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, MikeRoyal.com to learn more about Mike's story. And there is an, an article on the IIA's website. I believe it's from February or March of this year. Really good. It's 
connect with Mike, uh, help the cause, raise awareness, and do not live down to people's low expectations. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, John. 